thank you to Western Washington Coalition for Life for sponsoring today's broadcast of Live Talk Northwest. Born from prayer and a promise in 2018, the WWCFL's mission is to provide encouragement and support through resources, education, and information focused on embracing the beauty and sanctity of all human life. Engage with WWCFL at wwcfl.org or on Facebook at Western Washington Coalition for Life. Thank you, WWCFL, for supporting Life Talk Northwest. Welcome to Life Talk Northwest. I'm Dan Kennedy, former CEO of Human Life of Washington, and I'm excited and delighted to announce we have a new co-host, and I would like her to introduce herself. Thanks, Dan. Um, my name is Katie Welch. I am the former Northwest Regional Coordinator and Industry Impact Coordinator for Students for Life of America and Students for Life Action. And I'm so excited for this opportunity to talk with you all today. Well, many of you know that uh, Katie uh, has been on the show more than once, very knowledgeable guest, and uh, we are so delighted to invite her to be a co-host here at Life Talk Northwest. So it's great to have you with us, Katie. Thank you. Today, we're bringing back another very knowledgeable guest, Richard M. Dorflinger. He retired in 2016 from the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops Secretariat of Pro-Life Activities, where for 36 years he prepared testimony and other materials on abortion, euthanasia, human cloning, stem cell research, and other issues. He has published in many journals and magazines and writes a monthly syndicated column for the National Catholic News Service. He is a fellow at the University of Notre Dame's De Nicola Center for Ethics and Culture. He's an associate scholar at the Charlotte Lozier Institute and an adjunct fellow in bioethics and public policy at the National Catholic Bioethics Center. He holds a BA and MA degrees from the University of Chicago and conducted doctoral studies in theology there and at the Catholic University of America. He and his wife now live in LaConnor, Washington, and in his spare time... Well, wait, Richard, you don't have any spare time, do you? (laughs) (laughs) Welcome, Richard, and we're delighted that uh, you've come back because there's some big issues in the news um, we need to cover. yeah, we've asked Richard to join us about the uh, to discuss the leaked draft in the Rovi- or in the Dobbs Supreme Court case. And uh, what I'd like to ask first, Richard, is, you know, what is this? I mean, it was about two hundred pages. Uh, what does Alito say in this about the reasons why uh, Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey should be overturned? Yeah, well, that's uh, well as uh, as printed in the draft, it's ninety eight pages, but the last sixty, the last thirty two pages are simply the texts of the abortion laws in the various states that uh, that Roe v. Wade sort of ignore the existence of, and and that's part of the problem. And this is this is a complaint that was made by even legal scholars at the time, back in 1973, about Roe v. Wade, who scholars who support abortion. And some of them said, you know, if this was a piece of legislation, I might vote for it. But it doesn't seem to have anything to do with the Constitution. Uh, you know, the, the justices then made up a, uh, 
a very selective and misleading history of American law, saying that uh, in the past, uh, you know, until very recently, abortion hadn't been illegal. That was false. Uh, they cited any number of irrelevant things. Uh, I mean, they were going back to, you know, Greek pagan views of philosophers <laughs> about when life begins. Well, you know, we, we have somewhat more modern science involved now. Uh, and they made this whole structure of dividing pregnancy up into trimesters, into three, three-month uh, divisions, and uh, saying there are different standards for how broadly abortion is allowed based on that. None of this is... In, the word abortion is never mentioned in the Constitution. And even though they cited precedents like decisions, past decisions of the court on things like marriage and contraception and so on, uh, what Justice Alito was saying is not only is the history highly faulty and the reasoning is highly faulty, but all of those decisions are different because none of the, none of those other decisions involves the taking of a life of someone else. You know, whether you want to call that life or potential life, this is different from contraception, and this is different from uh, other issues about sexuality. This is about a conflict of interest between the mother and her unborn child. And therefore, uh, you know, the court was very arbitrary in saying... All of, in in practice, all of the balance falls on the side of what the woman wants and what the abortionist is willing to do. Even in the last months of pregnancy, uh, in the final three months, they said, uh, "Well, abortion has to be allowed uh, if the uh, if the doctor says it's necessary for health." And in a companion decision, they defined health right. as being emotional, social, familial well-being which means the woman, you know, very much wants an abortion, and the abortionist is willing to do it. So this decision, Roe v. Wade, knocked down uh, the, the laws on abortion in all 50 states, even, even here in Washington State, which is one of the four states that had legalized abortion right. on demand uh, through most of pregnancy, but they stopped short at uh, six months. So... Uh, this is something that, uh, in one fell swoop, knocked down a very long history and a very long tradition of people and their electing rep elected representatives debating what to do about this issue, and they'd come up with different reasons. Yeah, I liked I liked but, uh, uh, Alito yeah. saying uh, that uh, you know almost as if the court in Roe v. Wade was thrashing about for something like, okay, we know this is in there somewhere. I think was the term he, he used. And they couldn't decide where. Yeah, yeah. They disagreed on, uh, well, maybe it's in uh, this thing that says the people have rights we haven't mentioned here. Or, yeah. uh, well, and it's, yeah. I, I think that one uh, critical point that you brought up that maybe get missed a lot is uh, the fact that the abortion decision, that this involves a third party as opposed to yeah. when they bring up all, all the other stuff. So, Richard, yeah, and, oh, mm -hmm. go ahead. No, I was just going to say, and the, over the years, uh, even when Roe v. Wade was upheld, you know, basically sort of upheld in the Planned Parenthood versus Casey decision in 1992 and so on, uh, 
The court over the years has acknowledged biological reality by uh, they, they've set aside this phrase potential life that was used in Roe v. Wade and mm-hmm. simply talked about the life of the unborn. Yeah. And uh, that's, you know, progress that we are talking about two lives. But uh, not until now has it been an opportunity to take all those errors that Roe v. Wade made and, and put them all together and say, this is not in the Constitution. We can't set one extreme policy on this issue for all of Americans. Right. So if this draft does become final, what would such a decision do? Would it ban any abortions? Would it signal like a willingness to reverse current law on issues involving sexuality or con- contraception, marriage, etc.? Yeah, I think, well, let me ask, answer the second question first. The, the draft explicitly says uh, no to, you know, this uh, portending uh, overturning decisions on other things. In fact, there's a long footnote where Justice Alito says, you know, uh, this idea that respecting precedent, you know, it's called stare decisis, mm-hmm. does mm-hmm. not apply when the decision was clearly wrong. And he then cites dozens of places where the court has reversed itself, one of which is the court reversing itself when earlier it had said uh, states can pass laws against same-sex marriage, and then later said uh, the, the states cannot pass laws right. banning same-sex marriage. So, so that's one of the cases where the later decision is you know, welcomed by uh, some folks who also support abortion. So how can they claim you can never reverse a precedent if they are, uh, you know, praising to the skies uh, cases where the court has done just that? <laughs> but they say this, this is different. This is about two uh, human beings, uh, two members of the human species. So, and then the, and then this, and this I think is very much misunderstood. The decision doesn't ban anything. It says, because the Constitution does not say anything about how to handle this, uh, you know, what you could call a conflict of rights or a conflict of interest, because it doesn't say how to settle it, the people and their elected representatives are free to make the laws that they decide are right. Mm -hmm. And that's going to differ from state to state. Now, Congress, and I think the votes are today, Right. Uh, Congress is trying to pass a law called the Women's Health Protection Act mm-hmm. that is actually far more extreme than even than Roe, because it uh, it creates a new entitlement to access to abortion, and many laws in the states that have been upheld, uh, clinic regulations, parental notice, uh, informed consent laws, those could be overturned by by that decision, but. Uh, yeah, I, what the Supreme Court is saying is, it is up to the people. It is up to the debate among women and men uh, to make laws either for or against abortion, just the way we make laws about just about everything else. Yeah, uh, our guest is Richard Dorfengler, retired from the USCCB Secretary to Pro-Life Activities, and you're listening to Life Talk. Northwest on Sacred Heart Radio. We are going to have to take a short break here, but when we come back, we have lots of things to discuss 
Um, and there's been a lot of, shall we say, uh, disinformation on this. That seems to be in the news as well. So uh, we'll be right back. And our guest is Richard Dorfinger. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Welcome back to Life Talk Northwest, where we're talking with Richard Dorflinger about the Supreme Court leak. So, Richard, each major party has been saying that the other party is essentially a threat to democracy. But here we have a decision that simply returns the abortion issue to the democratic process, where it had been for centuries. And there is outrage that once again, democracy might happen. Uh, so <laughs> how are both sides reacting and what does this tell us? Well, what I've been uh, unpleasantly surprised at is the degree of uh, uh, outrage and even in some quarters, uh, violence and vandalism by those who support abortion. Uh, uh, I, my impression is that pro-life folks have been uh, quite a bit more peaceful about this, but that I could be wrong in some instances. But seeing some video footage, that's very upsetting because, look, you have you have a very difficult issue that does have to do with uh, women's interests and the interests of their unborn children. I don't think those interests are as much in conflict as some are claiming, but uh, uh, I think that, you know, what the Supreme Court said in Planned Parenthood versus Casey is, in a sense, true, that a lot of people took uh, abortion availability for granted and have planned out their lives based on that. And and an unexpected pregnancy changes a lot of life plans. Right. And I, I think we all have to be understanding that and sympathetic to that. But to say, look, we're... The, the Supreme Court has set us free to have that discussion for the first time. Yet half the country, because uh, you know that's the Gallup poll has always shown that about half Americans say they're pro-life and half say they're pro-choice. Mm -hmm. uh, you have half the country that up until now has been disenfranchised. We can talk all we want, but it's illegal for our talk to matter <laughs> right. for us to pass laws that are based on our moral convictions and our belief is what's what's good public policy. So now we're all set free and you know it's uh, and you have a situation where some people are shocked to find that people who disagree with them will also have the right to participate. And it's not you know women being oppressed by men. The uh, uh there are some minor differences 
between women and men on the issue, but they're not uh, they're not very substantial. Uh, the big differences, I mean, some of the differences in public opinion are uh, membership in the two parties. Uh, the biggest difference is between uh, people who uh, go to church and people who don't. Uh, and you know, I think that's it's not because people are being uh, railed at from the pulpit to uh, mm-hmm. ban abortion. Uh, I've run into a lot of pro-life people who uh, wish that were true, and it never is. <laughs> but uh, it's because there are people who think that there's a uh, there's a, a standard of morality that doesn't depend only on what the law says or on what the popular uh, entertainment says. Right. You know, and uh, I think that has to do something with all of us being ultimately of equal value before God. You talk about the, uh, and we're speaking with Richard Dreiflinger uh, on Live Talk Northwest and Sacred Heart Radio. Um, you talk about the, the Casey decision, and, you know, I recall uh, reading a book not too long ago about the arguments that were made for uh, slavery. And I was just absolutely stunned. You know, the arguments are, well, you know, our economy is based on that. You know, you're going to wipe out the economy of several states. And and it was just the, you know, these are our expectations. These, you know, you're depriving us of our way of life. Um, I was just stunned by how familiar uh, those arguments were. And when you shut off, as you said, you know, half of the debate, half of the country can't say anything about it. Uh, This is the one issue that I think the Supreme Court in Roe v. Wade thought it would, in fact, said said later they thought it would simply go away, um, and it hasn't. No, in fact, uh, I mean, it made abortion into the most consent. You know, the people have called it the third rail of American politics. Uh, that, uh, And to some extent, it, it has distorted and deformed the selection and the confirmation of Supreme Court justices. Boy, because every it. Supreme Court justice has been interrogated on what they're going to do about abortion by uh, senators on both sides. And... Uh, it has never gone away. Uh, I think the great uh, success, the pro-life movement, uh, there have been some legislative successes, but uh, the great uh, success is that uh, we're still debating this. This has not been settled by the Supreme Court. The, the decision made by seven old men in 1973 has never been convincing to millions of the rest of us. You're not, you're not knocking old men, are you? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm an old man, too. Oh, okay. but, uh, <laughs> that makes two of us. But, I mean, even on the court, you know, the but Roe set loose a, uh, you know, a, I think Antonin Scalia used to call it the ad hoc nullification machine, where people <laughs> even tried to do very modest things to mm-hmm. regulate abortion. And the extremism that Roe v. Wade set off on the court itself ended up leading the Chief Justice, Warren Berger, to say, you know, maybe I was wrong. Uh, I think we need to revisit uh, Roe v. Wade, because the court had begun 
knocking down informed consent laws and care for a child who's born alive during an attempted abortion. Yes. Uh -huh. And he started thinking, what have we set loose here? What, what is this thing, anyway? And, and he was ready to reverse his opinion, and then he retired. Yeah. You know, yeah, you, you think you got somebody. Yeah. You know, <laughs> but uh, there has been, uh, there's been a lot of uh, dissension on this, on the court itself, for almost 50 years. Right. So how, midterms are coming up. So how might this affect the upcoming midterm elections? Well, this is one thing I learned from long experience in Washington, D.C., is uh, to, uh, to deny having a crystal ball on elections. <laughs> but I, I think that the, the Democratic leadership seems to be assuming that this is going to help them in the elections. Uh, I think that that's premature. Because, uh, you know, one one thing that the pro-life movement has had against it, you know, the pro-life movement has always been represented in the in the media by its, uh, in many cases, its its worst uh, representatives. You know, uh, there are there are, there are some wonderful people who uh, appear at abortion clinics and offer help to women. There are a few people who are obnoxious. <laughs> in front of the clinics, and those are always the people that get on the news. Oh, yeah. So yep. now the obnoxiousness seems to be a uh, almost a monopoly of the other side. I mean, the, just the the contempt for people who disagree is so uh, apparent, and the people, you know, the politicians are not only saying some very uninformed things and, and nasty things, but. Uh, protesters are trying to intimidate justices by appearing on their front lawns. Uh, this this is not something that builds trust of people who are undecided or ambivalent on the issue. Yeah. I, so, and I think, I'm hoping at least, that people will take a look and say, you know, who do I want to be uh, uh, guiding my thinking on this? Yeah, I, I think you're right about the, uh, you know, I, and, and I have thought that, they're going to kind of burn themselves out, and if this is the decision and it comes out, you know, there's going to be this hoopla and this, uh, the, the sky is falling, and eventually people are going to say, you know, I, I don't really notice much difference. Uh, mm. And yet, uh, you know, uh, I'm, I'm sure you have seen uh, Governor Inslee comment about, <laughs> about this leak, right? Yeah, I mean, Governor Inslee and also Governor Newsom of California, you know, they're, they're holding press conferences and saying, we'll fight, fight, fight. They don't need to fight, fight, fight. Washington and California are two of the states that have the most extreme pro-abortion policy already. And that's not changed by this uh, decision. You know, in, in, our, in our state of Washington, it is uh, illegal for a, uh, an insurance company to offer... Uh, maternity benefits without offering uh, abortion. Yes. You're, you, you're not allowed to buy an insurance policy in most cases unless it has abortions, even if you don't want it. Uh, we are all being forced to help pay for abortions. And uh, so they've already made you know their choice, and uh, that choice will now be open to public debate and consideration. And uh, so will the uh, laws in states that want to go, uh, you know, try to put in protections for the unborn. So it's, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of like someone suddenly being told, uh, you're an adult, 
making your own decisions now, but in league with other adults who may disagree, let's have a discussion. And uh, a lot of people are reacting very negatively to that idea. So, I mean, I hope it will calm down and we can have a real dialogue about this and find out how we can do this, especially with uh, a big emphasis on helping women who are in these circumstances uh, and providing more support. One thing I have to uh, congratulate the, uh, the Bishop's Conference on is that I think over a year ago, they started uh, a program called Walking with Moms in Need right. and are uh, really uh, pressing all the dioceses around the country to step up their efforts for supporting pregnancy aid centers, for supporting uh, compassionate care for women with unexpected pregnancies in anticipation that something might happen here right. to change mm-hmm. the legal situation. But we have to be there with that positive help. It's not only about protecting the unborn, as, as the uh, as you know, right. folks at the March for Life has been saying for years, why not love them both? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we need to be stepping up areas, uh, you know, efforts in that area as well. Well, we are out of time already. Richard, is there, we're delighted that you've been here and have filled us in a little bit with your expertise. Is there something, uh, uh, a last thought you'd like to leave with the audience? Uh, oh, well, I'm, I'm hoping that uh, the people in the pro-life movement will continue to be reaching out uh, for dialogue and reaching out in love and uh, and and thereby winning a certain amount of uh, trust and, uh, and uh, high regard from the American people so that we can, in fact, talk about what we do in a situation like this in which lives are at stake. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm Dan Kennedy, uh, and you have been listening to Life Talk Northwest on Sacred Heart Radio. I would say persevere in speaking and defending the truth in love. And I'm Katie Welch. And that's it. Thank you for listening. Thank you to Western Washington Coalition for Life for sponsoring today's broadcast of Life Talk Northwest. Born from prayer and a promise in 2018, the WWCFL's mission is to provide encouragement and support through resources, education, and information focused on embracing the beauty and sanctity of all human life. Engage with WWCFL at wwcfl.org or on Facebook at Western Washington Coalition for Life. Thank you, WWCFL, for supporting Life Talk Northwest.